We're going to look at uh, heaven and hell tonight, just as a good reminder. But um, Garrett's going to try to track this if he can. So Colossians chapter 3. Let's go there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. I've not been to heaven or hell. I'm not sharing this out of any vision that I've had. But I, I was uh, about five years old in the Lord, and I hit a wall. It just seemed like... Um, my whole focus was on getting in the ministry and studying and preparing, and, and I'd never given any thought to heaven, never given any thought to life beyond what I was doing. And I, I went into a, a depression, and um, the Lord began to work with me and give me this revelation of a life to come. And, and it was the beginning of, of something that just changed, changed my life. And... Uh, I've collected books about heaven and hell, but uh, uh, I'm not going to share anything really much in the way of um, uh, kind of a, a doctrinal laying out of, of everything I believe uh, in proof text and at all. But I've written a book called The Day, and there's quite a bit of what I'm teaching tonight in that book call the day if you want all the verses for it. But it does help me, and I, I remember sharing this with, with my kids when they were little. It helps if we share it in a form of a story. So if I, can, if I can do some of that tonight, that's what I'd like to do, and then you can get the, uh, the book for the proof text. One of the things Paul wrote to these brand-new Gentile Christians is he set before them this whole concept of heaven as a motivator. Uh, we need a motivator to, to get through things down here. So he said, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. If you're... If you're thinking about the things of the earth all the time, it'll pull you down. It'll drag you down. So there's this little escapism that's allowed where you're going through stuff and conflicts and difficulties. And with your mind's eye, because you've been given this powerful thing called imagination, and when it's sanctified, it's called meditation. And you begin thinking about, biblical meditation is, is, is thinking about uh, the, this life to come. And he's telling them, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For he died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, and so we have that to look forward to, then you'll also appear with him in glory. And so the idea of glory here, um, we often, people, especially old timers, would call heaven glory. And... Uh, uh, there's more to that than, than I can get into here. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetous, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you uh, yourself once walked when you lived in them. And so he's helping them to break the bonds of the pull of this world and our, our flesh with a heavenly vision. And sometimes that's what it takes. You need to set your eyes on heaven, on the things that are, that are above, and it, and it breaks that power. Uh, verse 2, here's a couple of translations. The King James Version, Garrett, you don't have to find these. It says, set your affection on the things above, not on the things here. So it's your affection. And then the Today's Living Bible says, let, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about the things down here. Let heaven fill your thoughts. And um, I also want to go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I thought this would be the best landing place for us to work on this tonight. He's, uh, he's written them a letter and they didn't like it. And so then they asked him actually for to show him his credentials for even writing the letter. Like, like who are you to write this letter to us? And, and uh, so he is answering that, like how he's got this authority from God. But verse 12 says, or verse 1 says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. It never is. I will come to visions and revelation. This supports who he is and why he has authority. So visions, he's had visions and he's had revelation. I can't take time to explain all this to you tonight, but if you read in Galatians, what happened was Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he spent a short time with uh, some disciples, Ananias being one of them. They fed him. They, they baptized him. They got him baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, then he began to go out uh, to downtown Damascus and, and preach. And, and that just about got him killed. And they had to lower him over this wall in a basket to save his life. And he went off from there. And he spent uh, the next three years in a desert region called Arabia. It's not, it's not Saudi Arabia. It's not very far from Damascus, actually. It's a, it's a desert region, uh, kind of north of where John the Baptist was working. And there, Jesus would appear to him. And Jesus would, he would hear his sandals slapping on the, on the stones as he would come along. And Jesus would sit down and talk to him, just like you're seeing me. Jesus would sit down and teach him. We know that because of what he said in Galatians. But he also wrote, he said, you know, I went up to Jerusalem. I laid my theology down for the, uh, the apostles to, to pick through. He said, because no man taught me the gospel. Jesus himself taught me. And uh, what Paul has is a revelation that was given to him that was, that's so spectacular and, and hard to understand that, that the other apostles uh, would scratch their head over some of the stuff that we're reading in the New Testament. It was news to them. They had never heard it before. And so he had visions and he had revelations of the Lord. Watch this, verse 2. I know a man in Christ 
who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one who is caught up to the third heaven, and, and we know as by further study, he's writing about himself, but he won't say, I, I, I did this. He says, I know a man, and uh, that's allowed. Uh, I do that sometimes. I'll tell, tell stories that happened to me, but I don't want anyone to know what happened to me. And he says, uh, I know such a man, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He was caught up into paradise. <clears throat> paradise with a capital P. It's a place. The third heaven, there are three heavens. <clears throat> One you can see, if you stepped outside this building, the first heaven is where the birds are. You can see... You can see the sky where there's airplanes, and everything you can see that's, that's blue is the first heaven. The part you can't see, if you were to get up with William Shatner like he did last week and get up, get up uh, uh, beyond the blue, you'll see heavens, which is the second heavens, where there's sun, moon, and stars, and, and that's the second heaven. The third heaven, you have to be invited to there to get there, and it's an actual place. It's as real as this place here. In fact, it's more real than this place. This place is called the shadow of things to come. So this, the shadow is not the most real thing. The object that makes the shadow is even more real than the shadow. So when God created the heavens and the earth, he started with heaven, and heaven has mountains and lakes and trees and streams and it's, it's a real place with flowers and grass and uh, everything that we have down here is just a mirrored image or a shadow of what's up there. And it's a waiting place called paradise. At one time, it was in the center of the earth. There was a waiting place called Abraham's bosom. And it was, a, it was a place in the center, literally in the center of the earth, across a canyon from a place where people were wrapped in flames, and they're both waiting places. Uh, one's called Shoals, and the other's called Abraham's Bosom. And at one time, that's where everybody met up who died. And they'd either go to one place or the other. The angels would come, and they'd take you, and you'd go to one side or the chasm or the other. And you can read that in Luke in a story that Jesus told. It's an actual story. Uh, he talked about a, a, a man named Lazarus and then a rich man. And there, it's a, not a parable. It's a real, actual story. I don't know how Jesus saw that, but he, he, he was a prophet and he saw things. And so um, Jesus, when he died, went into the waiting place where Abraham was. Abraham greeted him, or greeted him kissed them, they embraced. He went in, he preached the gospel to people on that side who had never heard it before. They didn't know the story. They didn't know what God was doing from Adam until Christ. They didn't know that, and so he filled them in on that. Peter wrote about that. And it's possible that he also preached to people who were in hell, and that they could understand what was going on and what took place. And then what he did is he led the... He led captivity captive, and he led them out uh, from Abraham's bosom, and he led them out, and some people actually were manifested where people could see them on the streets of Jerusalem. They'd see old relatives who'd passed away, and it just blew their mind, and they're on their way to paradise. I don't know how that's happened, but it, it, the Bible says that it happened. 
And um, he took them to a place uh, prepared called paradise. So they're no longer in the center of the earth. They're in paradise. The people who are in hell, it's literally in the center of the earth. And that's where it is today. It hasn't, it hasn't changed. That location hasn't changed. Jesus is on the cross. One of the thieves, they're both making fun of Jesus. They're mocking him. They're saying all these derogatory things to him. And then after nine hours of hanging there, one of them had a change of heart, and he realized this is a righteous man. And he turns to Jesus, and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that was such a faith statement. And Jesus was so impacted by it, he turned and looked to the man and said, this day, you'll be in paradise with me. And if you were to go to paradise today, that guy is there. The, the thief on the cross got there. And, and that's where you go when you die. Uh, you're, you're taken to a place called paradise. And, and, and let's look at this. Paul said, I knew a man who, who went to paradise. He said, the thing is, I don't know if it was me or if it was me. I don't know if it was me in my body or me without my body because I was me. One of the biggest shocks that people will have when they die is that they're them. You don't become a, a chubby little angel. You don't become a cherubim. You don't become a super spiritual saint. You're you. You're you, just like you're sitting here tonight. Whatever you love now, that's what you're going to love when you die. You're you. You don't become something else. All the faith, all the knowledge, all the glory, all the experience that you have now, that's what you have when you die. You don't get more when you die. You don't become more spiritual. You become, you're, you're you. If you like flowers now, you're going to do backflips in, in paradise because the flowers there are, are amazing. Even the grass and the trees, everything worships the Lord. I mean, it's just, and there's no shadows there, so the the way it's lit up by God himself. So everything is so intently bright and the colors are, are more, the greens are more green than you've ever seen before. Blues are more blue. Everything is, is, is stunning. And there's no litter. Everything is clean in the air. There's no pollution. One lady, uh, namely Rebecca Springer, a Methodist lady from Canada, she died, went to paradise. Her brother took her all over, showed her uh, her house that was being worked on. Uh, all kinds of things. It's an amazing. This is back in the 1800s. When she, re when she was sent back into her body and she came back to the earth, she said one of the biggest adjustments is how polluted the air was here because in heaven it was so pure. And here she was struggling with the pollution. This is in the 1800s. Imagine what she'd be breathing today. <laughs> you know, she was struggling with the readjustment. Uh, if for the, if for those who long to go to heaven on a little vacation and come back, I think it'd wreck your life. I mean, it could wreck your life for the now. I mean, how could you how could you enjoy a minute down here after you've been there for a second? I mean, there's just no way that you could really enjoy it. It would take. It would take a purpose, like Paul had a purpose where he said, you know, for me to die is gain. I mean, it's just win, win, win. <laughs> There's no bad thing about dying. It's, I, for me to die, I'm just to be with Christ. But for me to stay here, it's more profitable for you that I stay. So he had this 
purpose for staying, and most people don't have that purpose. So this guy, Paul, he says, I knew a man in Christ. He said, I, I, I couldn't tell whether I was in my body or not. The reason is because you'll look like you. You'll think like you. You'll feel like you. You'll process things like you. Because when you go to paradise, your spirit and your soul are, are the same. Your soul will have memory. Your soul will have uh, desires and passions and, and uh, thoughts and and. And all of that is, is going to be continually active. Your, your mind is going to be blown. You're going to be spinning at, at the glories and the wonders of heaven. But you'll, be, you'll react there like you would react now if you saw angels as tall as mountains and cherubims worshiping the Lord and you see the splendors of heaven. I mean, you'd, you'd, it, it, it's going to blow your mind. Heaven's a real place with mountains and streams and trees and streets and buildings and jobs. And there's responsibilities there. There are people who don't want to go to heaven because they say, I don't want to sit around all day playing a harp forever. I mean, five minutes on a harp, maybe, <laughs> probably not. I don't think it's that way at all. I mean, just like you need to work here and you have the, you're fulfilled by creating, you're fulfilled by working and, and making things happen. All of that continues because that's, that's part of your spirit, that creative part that needs to build and uh, problem solve and, and work and, 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 and fix things. That's, that's an integral part of you. All of that will carry over into forever. And Jesus said, those who are faithful with little will be given much. And, and uh, if you're faithful with uh, the authority that he's given you here, you'll be given even more authority in heaven. Well, authority is really jobs. Authority is responsibility. It's another word for responsibility. But he was him, caught up in the paradise. And I heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. He had an amazing experience in paradise. You'll be you. I think that's a major revelation. <clears throat> There's a man who got to go to paradise. And um, <clears throat> an angel was showing him around. They were talking. And Jesus appeared and was talking to him about his ministry. And then it was time for him to come back to earth. And Jesus said to the angel, this man loves mountains. When you take him back to earth, take him by way of the mountains so he could see the mountains. And that, when I read that, it just stuck with me. It's such a, a powerful picture. I love mountains. And I've, I've been in some of the best scenes of mountains that you can ever experience down here. But I want to see the mountains of heaven. Once, you, once you've seen mountains, you have to see more mountains. And um, another scene that stuck with me ever since I heard it is uh, someone was in paradise and came back to write about it. And, and uh, they saw uh, this pond, and it was filled with children who were laughing and splashing. And in the middle of the pond, working 
uh, playing with the children, splashing them and them splashing him, was Jesus. And the man said, what, what does this mean? And, and the angel said, well, these are those who've come ahead of their parents. And they're here waiting for their parents to come. And for them, it's just a few minutes of playful, joyful experience with Jesus. It's, they're not crying. They're not experiencing the grief that we're experiencing here. They're just waiting for mom and dad to come back and, or to come join them. But for them, it's parts of a minute. For us, it's a long wait to be reunited. Parents to be reunited with miscarriages, the people who we've lost that, that uh, are uh, from our womb um, weren't brought out the way that God intended, and, but they're real people, and they have a, a, a life and a history and a, and a voice and a, a mind, and they, they get to grow. Well, when they go to paradise, uh, I believe relatives get to hold them and love them and care for them, and they're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They're, they're part, of, part of our family. And, and, and then there's that moment when you get to go there and you'll hold them in heaven. You'll be able to hold them and have a life with them. And down here, it's, it's hard. There, life continues. It's, it's, it's just that real. One time I was in India and they invited me to a leper colony and I'd never been to one before. Very few people have and very few people would ever go to this one. Uh, when I got there, this argument broke out when all the lepers left the fields and their houses and they came down by the road to greet us. And they were arguing back and forth. It went on for quite a while and finally I asked my interpreter, I said, what are they saying? They said, well, they don't know how to love you. <laughs> And I understood what that meant was they can't shake my hand, they can't give me food, they can't invite me to their houses, they can't touch me. So they, 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 it was, I created a dilemma for them because they didn't know how to show me that they loved me. And uh, they were Christians, but they couldn't hug me. And so we found our way in this little grove of, of palm trees, and there was a little bench for me to sit on. They sat on the ground in front of me, and I remember... I remember thinking, Jesus, what could I possibly tell them? I mean, most of the sermons that I could preach back home, just you toss them out because it's, it's totally irrelevant to their lives. And, and, and I'm, I, I'm asking him, what do, I, what do I say to them? I mean, what could I possibly say? I could hardly even relate to their, their life. And, and I just felt like Jesus would say, take them, take them to heaven. And so I sat down and I explained much of what I'll explain to you. And I just told them what heaven was like, that there's a house there and there's no more labor. They're, they're working in the fields and their hands are missing fingers, but they're blistered. They're working hard and, and uh, just to eke out a living, just to eke out enough for food, not for retirement, just for food. No vacations, no rest, no Sabbath, no, I mean, no nothing for most people in India. These people probably had a Sabbath, but... But uh, so a rest from their labors and, and perfect temperature, no more monsoons and no more heat that makes your brains bake in your skull and, and no more insects that drive you crazy and uh, perfect 
perfect weather, perfect condition, uh, and houses that Jesus has built for us that are the house of our heart, the house we've always wanted, the house we've always longed for. He's built it because he knows what we like. He knows our taste. He knows what's in our hearts. And I told him, I said, he's building houses for you. And they just, they just chirped over that. They just, I mean, they were living in a mud hut with a leaky bamboo roof that uh, they were desperate to have replaced. And that's one of the reasons we went to see them. A place where there's no decay, there's no, no mildew, no must, no rust, no rot, nothing, nothing breaks, nothing rots. Like down here, everything goes into decay. Um, uh, it's intended to remind us that this is not the real life. I believe that's why everything has to break, why everything has to, to rust. But there, nothing, nothing is ruined. Uh, this Rebecca Springer, in her little book about the gates of heaven, she said she went to see her house. Her brother was very eager to show her the house that was being built. It was her home. She said it was, it was so beautiful. And the workmen were there, and they were doing this big inlaid floor at the entryway of the house. And she said as soon as they made some shavings to adjust the piece of inlay to set it in, the shavings were gone. Immediately, the, 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 it didn't even create dust. Immediately, no cleaning up after the moment that it was changed, it was cleaned, and, and uh, her brother took her to this place for these amazing fruit trees, and she had on this beautiful, beautiful gown, and uh, he gave her this piece of fruit, was eager to see her reaction to it, and she tasted it, and she said it was the most amazing thing she'd ever eaten, except it was so juicy that it, that it splashed on her white dress, and she became so anxious. If you ever had pear juice or apple juice on a white dress, I mean, it stains immediately, or white shirt, it stains immediately, even a tablecloth. And, and so she was instantly anxious like she would be on the earth, except, except there was no, no mess, no, I mean, that spray didn't affect anything. It was, it was there and gone. How'd you like that for a house cleaning, ladies? Heaven, no more mopping, no more vacuuming dust, no more cleaning up. The moment that there's a spill, it's taken care of. The moment that anything is altered, it's taken care of. No more disease. I don't know, I don't know about you, but probably there's a part of our mind that is constantly thinking about death, danger, accidents, disease, loss, somewhere it's playing inside of you all the time, every waking moment. Everything we do is to prevent death, prevent something from going wrong, making sure the toaster's unplugged before we leave or the iron's not plugged in. I mean, we're just so conscious of, of loss down here. Imagine all of a sudden be free of that because there's no more danger, no, mo no more disease, no more sickness, no more death. Smells and fragrances and colors that natural beauty that God created that's beyond belief, beyond belief. No more darkness, no more shadows. I think there's sunrises and sunsets, and I think the reason I, I've come to that is we love them so much. And 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 I happen to I happen to read where 
uh, someone who had been to paradise, they said there was this, there was this moment where, where the day, the glory of the Lord that lights the place just dialed down and everyone just simply rested. That's one reason we have homes. We're a spirit being. God got tired and, and had a seventh day rest. We're spirit beings. We need the rest. That's why we can't keep going. It's not, a, it's not because you need physical rest as much as you need to stop talking and stop creating and stop thinking and stop worrying. And that's why we have a seventh day rest. So we're spirits that gets, we get tired. And so there's this place where we go to our home, and the home has no bathrooms, has no garage, has no need of a kitchen. It's, it's a place to rest. It's a place for fellowship. And so this story I read said all of a sudden the glory of the Lord just kind of dialed down and everybody just stopped and went dormant and just began to rest and got quiet. And then sometime later, it, the glory of the Lord dialed back up and people got back to their business of what, what was at hand. I think there's something to that. I'm curious to see what that's going to look like. Imagine a place where there's no prospect of sin, no prospect of falling into sin or failing, no prospect of being tempted. All of that is gone. No, no flesh. I mean, uh, the pull of this world, the pull of my flesh, I just, it's every waking moment he's speaking to me and wanting to express himself and want my will and want his way in me. All of a sudden, he falls to the ground and he's no longer a factor. I think, I think that's got to bring peace unlike anything else in itself. And then there's no more devil, no more temptation, nothing to resist, and, and, and no carnal people who are going to be in our space and, and uh, intruding on us. And no need to lock your doors. No need for keys. There's no thieves. There's no rust. There's no, but Jesus said there's no thieves. It's a, it's a funny thing coming back to Penyan where I don't even know, how, I, I have to think about it and concentrate, where's the keys to my house? Uh, you know, um, if I go to Colombia or places in Chile and even places in Europe, there's barbed wire on the fences and there's broken glass to keep people from coming in to steal my stuff and the every door has deadbolts and chains and outside of gas stations and uh, little little stores are guys with sawed off shotguns because we're so aware of thieves wanting to steal and break in all of a sudden just imagine uh, the freedom of not having keys anymore no combinations no locks of any kind tremendous tremendous freedom no prejudice no pride no envy where everybody loves everybody. Can you picture a place? Imagine living in a place where there's no government because the king is in charge and everything, everything makes sense. Everything, he's rule, everything is perfect justice and perfect order. No more bureaucracy, no more long lines, no more dysfunction, no corruption, no, no taxes, real peace, real justice. There is food there. You will be invited to a, a meal called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Jesus said, I won't drink wine anymore here until I drink it 
at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's food there, even though we have we won't have bodies at this in the waiting part. We eventually, we'll get new bodies, but uh, Jesus was able to, with his heavenly body be able to, which is also mixed. It was a physical body, his physical body, and somehow our heavenly body. And he could eat honeycomb. He could eat fish. He could he could eat whatever they ate. So food will be there, but food will be just for fellowship, not for fuel. You'll know people there. Uh, when Moses and, and Elijah came on the Mount of Transfiguration, the 12 men, the disciples, they knew who they were. No name tags, nothing that would indicate who they were. You'll know relatives. You'll know people. You'll know people from here. You'll say, we went to church together. You'll say, well, I, I knew you when I was a kid. Uh, you'll recognize people. Uh, there'll be that instant recognition, instant rapport, instant relationship. You're going to meet relatives, and you're going to, you're, it's going to make your chin drop, or your, chest, your chin drop on your chest, because uh, they're going to look like you, and walk like you, and talk like you, and, and you'll look and you'll say, that looks like me, and they'll say, well, that's, that's seven generation old, old uncle, old uncle Freddie, and he just happens to look like you, and talk like you, and walk like you, there's, Stevie J's there that are in your family line, that are in your family tree, and you'll meet them, and they'll, and they'll talk, and they'll want to talk about your story and your testimony, and you'll have a remembrance of this life until God finally takes that remembrance away, but you'll remember this life and everything that's going on, uh, you'll have this, this connection. There's no marriage in heaven, but our relationship continues, and the best part of our relationships continue. Uh, God is forever young. I think that's going to be the biggest surprise is to find out how young God is. That he's not some ancient, bent-over, white-bearded man who's cranky. And I think we're going to be astounded at how that he's forever young. I remember talking to my kids about this, and they would say, well, who, who created God? Where did God come from? Who who is who's his parents? And I said, Well, God has always been. He never had a beginning. And he'll never have an ending. And I remember my middle son going, Oh, Dad, you're giving me a brain freeze. <laughs> he just couldn't get his head around the I the idea, oh, he's never had a beginning. <laughs> he's never had an ending. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And once you cross that line, you'll never cease to be. Nothing can ever take your life. You'll, you'll, you'll always be. You'll always be alive. You'll always be growing. You'll always be thinking and creating and processing. You'll, you'll never cease to be, ever, ever. How many want to go there? How many just like to say, Lord, take me home now? No more conflict, no more stress and taxes. It makes it hard, Nelson and I, and different ones, we deal with death, people, people pass. But I have to admit, the more I've gotten my heart wrapped around this, the harder it is for me to mourn. I, I, I don't 
I don't feel bad for them. I feel bad for us down here. But I can picture people who pass away, and I can picture them discovering the flowers of heaven, the streets of heaven, the homes of heaven, the lost relatives, and people who've gone on before, and meeting David and Daniel, Moa and Moses and Noah, and all those people are just walking the streets like they would be in our village of Penyan, and you get to see them and talk with them and relate to them. I don't feel sorry for anybody who's passed on. Set your mind on the things above. It's, if you've got a long-distance trip, just put yourself there. Take yourself to heaven. I often, I often will just get in bed and snuggle in, and with the, my powerful imagination, I'll go to heaven. I'll put myself before his throne. I'll, I'll put myself with Jesus and talk with him and let him talk with me and it changes my Christian walk. It, it makes me a better Christian to have breaks from the pull of this world. What do you think hell is like? Hell's a real place. There are people who don't believe in hell. There's even evangelical Christians who are debating. I have even friends who have gone through things that have made them doubt whether there is a hell. I believe that there's a hell, and Jesus talked about it. He taught it. It's in the Bible. <clears throat> Francis Chan and a, a friend of his wrote a book called Erasing Hell. It, it's kind of like we have taken this idea that God is so good and so merciful, which he is, uh, as, as much as you can imagine how good God is, he's that much more good. I mean... We can't underestimate how good God is or overestimate how good God is. I mean, he's good. But he's also just, and, and, and uh, he's a judge. And, and there's all that element of justice that there has to be consequences. And um, that's the, there's the goodness and the severity of God. And the people who major only on one side of that don't do very well. There are people who only think in terms of the severity of God. I feel bad for them. Then there are people who only think of the goodness of God, and, and it's not balanced, and they don't really see him as, as, as who he really is. And I, I think reading Revelation 1, 2, and 3 has helped me to keep a balance on that, that part of it. Jesus in Luke 16 talked about Lazarus, who was a real man, when he died, he was a beggar. When he died, angels came and collected him. When you die, three things I think will happen, maybe four that will surprise you. It, you'll be surprised at who comes and gets you. It'll either be relatives, it'll be angels, or it'll be Jesus himself. And I don't know what all the factors are, uh, but I read stories, I collect stories in my heart, and, and I see where these things happen. Sometimes it's angels are taking you to Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, one of the first things that happens down here in that, in that transition period uh, before, you, before we stand before Jesus on the day is you'll have a mini judgment day. 
It's, it's not for everyone to see. It'll be you and Jesus. And he'll explain to you why you are waiting where you're waiting. And if you miss, miss out and you're not in heaven and you're completely shocked that you're being taken down, uh, he'll explain in a nutshell why that is. And when he says it to you, you'll, you'll know it's true. And there's this mini-judgment that takes place. Uh, 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 some people are so shocked. Uh, they're so shocked that they died. That it takes people a while to even realize that they're dead because they're them. And there's that adjustment period. And then Jesus is there, and he's explaining. Uh, you know, if, if someone was a Muslim uh, or had been caught up in a cult, and, and they were told that they were the chosen ones, they're the only ones, the right ones, and all of a sudden they found out they're not going where they, they're not going to paradise with 70 virgins, Jesus will have to explain to them how they were misled, how their teachers had taught them wrong, and he's going to have to explain to them, but tell them, now there is a judgment day, there's a full judgment day, a full disclosure where you'll see everything, you'll see the people who taught you, you'll see the the motives of their heart. You, you'll hear their sermons again. You'll hear all of that again. It'll be done in a very open, public way. That's the ultimate judgment called the day of the Lord. And, and, and there you'll see more. And so uh, people will be satisfied with that, and they'll have to wait for the judgment day. Let me say, let me say this, uh, I, and if you can... Rest with me on this. I can't prove this. What I'm about to say, I can't prove it to you. I can't point to a verse that says this. But I've, I've gradually have become comfortable with believing this. I believe that there's, there's degrees of heaven. And there's, there's closeness to God in heaven. And then there's people who don't see God. They live in heaven, but they never see him. Then there's other people who get to sit in his throne and see his face. That It's not one, fit, one size fits all for everybody. Not everybody who gets to heaven will see God. And there's people who live further away from God and further away from his light and his glory. And then there are people who are they're in, they're right in the, in the most intense pockets of his glory and but they're used to it because they've lived closer to him here so i think there are degrees of light in heaven and degrees of 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 spiritual experience in heaven and i think that's true of hell as well i think there's a, a picture of hell where people are in, wrapped in flames and in constant torment like like the rich man he said abraham in other words, he recognized Abraham. La to send Lazarus, he knew Lazarus. His soul's intact. He, he recognized Lazarus. He remembered his brothers from the earth. He says, Abraham, send Lazarus up to, to warn them not to come to this place. They, he, was they, he was panicking at the thoughts of his brothers coming to where he was. And, and Abraham says, they have, they have Moses. In other words, they have the Bible. Yeah, but yeah, they, they don't believe the Bible. They don't read, read the Bible. They're not prepared. They don't, they don't believe that this is real. Send Lazarus up. And um, 
And Lazarus is there, and he recognizes him. And Lazarus is being embraced by Abraham and kissed and comforted because God promised Abraham that he would have this great seed. So Abraham, he's put in a place where he sees everybody that belongs to him who, who, who loves God and living by faith. The rich man was a Jew, but isn't in Abraham's bosom. So that's a mind-bender when you think about that. In other words, circumcision didn't solve it for him. Had to do with his life, you know. It had, didn't have anything to do with riches. It hap, happened to have about choices in life. But he's wrapped in a flame, and he says, "Abraham, send Lazarus over. Let him just dip his finger in some water and touch my tongue, that there be a little break from the torment." And Abraham said, "No, it's it's impossible. There's this canyon between." You and him. He, he's not allowed to come over there. I think there are people who are in torment. Then there are, I think, are people who are not constantly in torment, but part of their waiting might be being stuck with themselves and stuck with their minds and their beliefs and their craziness lifestyle that they've had here that they're they're isolated and they're stuck with themselves and 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 the the need to keep learning and learning and learning maybe that's a kind of hell but i think there's i think there's degrees of darkness and degrees of torment and degrees of punishment it's only a waiting area the ultimate ultimate hell is called the lake of fire and there it's it's total torment but this is a waiting area, waiting for the judgment day. And so rather than talking about the ones that are clothed in flames, and I think that that's, that's real and the pain is real. I think, there's, I think there's degrees back here that are, to me, more frightening. Can you imagine being held in a place where everybody is ranting and raving and, and there's constant craziness. It's like insanity. And they can't let it go, and they can't stop talking about what happened to them on the earth. And, the, and they're just constantly going around, and they're, they're barking orders at each other because that was in their heart. And there's other people who are addicted, and they're addicted, but there's no way to fix the addiction because they're addicted at a spiritual level. And nicotine or drugs or, or food or whatever, sex or all of that can never be provided for them, but the addiction is still real, and they're still acting out that addiction, and you're in a room with people who are totally critical and negative and selfish, and it's all about them, and they're telling you about how great they are, and you're in this waiting room, and you can't leave. And it's not like you can say, I, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go to my room and lock you out. There's no break from it. Like people who are so godless and their mouth is filled with such blasphemy and swearing and cursing, the worst kind of cursing and hatred. And if you ever have an experience with a little bit of road rage or you meet you're in a restaurant and someone comes in and and they're just that big buffoon who takes over and is cursing and swearing and drawing you can imagine not being 
able to escape that person. And there's no privacy. There's no place. You can't turn it off. No matter where you go, it's the same crazy room. And it's just filled with people who are all about themselves and, and the injustice and what happened to me and how wrong everybody was and how they treated you so wrong and they're just so filled with themselves and they can't stop talking about it. And then there's places that the smell, the smell is so vile, it's so putrid, it snaps your head around. I don't know if you've ever smelled something that causes you to turn your face away so quickly. It's called abomination. That's the word for it. It's, it's about being, being repulsed by a smell or repulsed by a sin. And, and everywhere you go, you're repulsed by it. And there there's religious people and there's uh, crazy preachers who are preaching the most insane things and going over these fine points of doctrine that don't mean anything to anybody and they can't stop preaching. And they're there. And it's so noisy and polluted. And in some places it's total darkness. Uh, I was on a Zoom call with Sergio Canales last night uh, who's down in Colombia right now. And uh, he and I and another guy, Roger Cunningham, we went, we went down into the earth in Chile into a mine, a coal mine that goes down so many hundred feet and then goes out under the ocean about three miles. And you can hear the waves breaking above your head. We didn't go that far out, but the mine did. And I, I, was, I was glad we didn't go very far at all because... I felt like I was suffocating. There was a natural vent ventilation from the hole, the shaft we came down, but there's no fans to move the air. There's, and it's hot down there, surprisingly hot. And you can't see your hand. They made us turn off our, our lights on our helmets, and you're sitting there, and it's, it's so quiet you can hear your heart beating. And it's so stifling, it's so dark. You feel like you're suffocating, and you can't see your hand. You can't see anything. I think there are places in hell that are like that. And then there's demons that live there whose whole joy is to make you terrified, and they pass through in their craziness, screaming and hollering and make you, making, intimidating, making you feel uh, afraid. And it's a nonstop kind of thing, demonic terror, and demonic torment where you just, you think you got a little space away from all the craziness and all of a sudden they pop up and they, they want to torment you. Especially if, it's kind of like, you know, if a policeman goes to prison, it's, it's, it's so bad for policemen because all the other convicts who hate policemen or a judge who goes to prison, it, it's, it's all those people who are in prison want to torment them even more because of who they are and their position. And it's a, this insanity breaks out because you were once a policeman. My heart always breaks when I read stories of policemen who are sent to prison because there's a special torment 
from the other prisoners. Well, you can imagine if you believed in God and you believed in Jesus and then you lived your own life and you went your own way and you did your own thing and you backslid and you got away and then you, even when you wanted to repent, you couldn't because you're being pulled by your flesh and pulled by demons and all of a sudden you slide into hell. Can you imagine the fun they would have with someone who's been a Christian, a Judas or a Demas who are trapped in hell? Imagine heavy metal music playing nonstop. You know, there, uh, when Noriega was, was being um, surrounded, his compound was being surrounded in Panama, they played rock and roll music through these big speakers at him. They actually played, there's a, there's a song from when I was a kid called These Boots Are Made, from Wa Made for Walking by Nancy Sinatra. And they played it as a, as a form of torture. Can you imagine finding out your song that was a big hit is now being used as a form of torture by the U.S. government? I mean, that would be so offensive. She should have sued them. But all that heavy metal and all that, all that craziness all exists. Imagine musicians who want you to listen to their songs over and over and over and over again. Someone with one hit, and all they want to do is sing it over and over and over again. There's no rest for the wicked. There's no rest for the wicked. I think, I think our spirits long for rest. Well, imagine being in a place where there's no rest for the wicked. I don't think it's one-dimensional. I think there's all the, all the shades, every facets of hell. And then there's this moment, and it's a day. And you're in hell, and you're being tormented, and this, it smells so bad, and it's, it's such a horrid, horrid place. And all of a sudden, there's light, and there's, there's angels, and the clang, clanging of chains. And they're capturing demons and putting them in chains, and they're assembling people. And, there's, and the, everyone said, what, what, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? And you're being told that this is the, the day. This is the day, the day of judgment. This is a day when you can tell your side of the story. See, you're going to stand before a judge, and Judaism was based on justice where you get to explain yourself, and you get to answer questions, and there's a jury, and, and there's, it's, there's an open court, where all your own words and video of everything you've ever said and done is played for you. And you don't even have to be judged by God. You'll judge yourself. And, and they're being told, we're going up. We're going up. This is the day. This is the day you get to stand before Jesus. It's not a 24-hour day period, but it's a day. It's a day where everyone who's ever been, everyone who's ever been conceived will be in one room. Every angel who's ever been breathed into existence, every demon, Lucifer himself is brought out in chains. He's brought out, and, and there's the congregation of the righteous, the congregation of the wicked. There's all the demons of hell, all the angels of hell. You're there, everybody's there, and you're all looking. And when Lucifer is brought out, everyone gasps, and they say, could this be the one that made the world tremble? Could this be the one that we're so afraid of? We're going to be so shocked at how small he is that he's one. He's not omnipresent. 
He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere. He's, he's a being, a single being. And at one time, you could see that he was incredibly beautiful and become so vain and, and conceited and proud. And he's brought out because he's going to be brought before Jesus and his knees will bow and his tongue will answer questions when he's asked to confess. And it's not something that's over with one question or two questions. It's, it's you'll, you, you'll be satisfied that you had an opportunity to explain and defend yourself and bring witnesses to bear on, on what you did or didn't do. It's a completely just day. And you'll be there. And there's no exemptions. And your name will be called. Aaron! And we'll all crane our heads because we know Aaron from church. And there's Aaron. There's Aaron Phillips. He's walking down. And, and he makes his way down. And Stevie J. Detweiler, and all of a sudden, he, he's, he's getting out of his seat, making his way down. You're, I mean, you'll be there. There's no exemptions. Penn Clark. And you'll see what I'm really like. You'll see my heart, my motives, what makes me tick. You'll see the private side of me. You'll see all the sermons I've taught or read, books I've read, written. All of that is completely revealed for whether it was right or wrong or true or inspired, motivated for money, motivated for praise. All of your motives, everything is completely made known. Nothing is hidden. Everything shall be revealed. Except whatever we edit now by the blood of Jesus. So that if the things we've done that we don't want anyone to see, the things we're ashamed of, the things we regret, the things we wish we'd never had done, all of those can be completely removed, completely edited out, by the blood of Jesus, where there's no more record, there's no more film, there's no more knowledge of that. It just simply doesn't exist. That's good news, isn't it? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We actually can stand before him. And the Apostle John, part of his objective, in John, 1 John, his first letter, chapter 5, he says that in essence, he's saying, my goal as a pastor is to have, it, have you walk with the Lord, know the Lord in this life in such a way. I want, I want to pastor you in a way that you can stand on the judgment day and not be afraid. You can stand on the judgment day at ease and not be ashamed. That's the, that's the highest goal. That's, that's everything. And what happens after this where everybody who's ever been is judged, everyone has their turn. God himself will call those by name who are going to spend forever with him and he'll bring us close and he'll wipe away every tear, tears of regret, tears of wish we had prayed more, wish we had decided differently, lived differently. 
wish we'd really believed his word, wish we really believed the Bible, and he'll console us. And, and if he doesn't wipe away our tears, we would just mourn forever. And so <clears throat> one of the things he does is he wipes away every tear. And then all the former things, the things of this life, he takes away from our memory, and we have no more recollection, no more memory of this life. And we're given new bodies, new, new purposes and uh, functions and jobs, and, and a whole other created life with a new heaven and a new earth will exist, except it's just those who have loved him by faith now. We're in this little 70-odd year blimp, little test, and he's saying, I just want, all I want are those who showed me that they loved me, that they chose me. They could have gone with their flesh. They could have gone with demons. They could have gone with their own way, but they chose to deny themselves, and they chose to live for me, and I just want to collect them. I want to bring them all. And I just want to live with them forever. And they will come to know me as completely as I know them. And, and we'll spend forever together. And they can see me and talk with me and be with me with no prayer, no church, no chapel, no, no offerings, no temple. That somehow you'll be working in forever. <clears throat> and your name will be called. And it's a new name. It's a name that nobody knows but you and Father God. And he'll call you. And people might hear something, but they don't know what's being said. But you'll know, oh, he wants me. He wants me to be with him. He's inviting me. He's calling me. And you'll drop what you're doing. And you'll begin a journey. And you'll be walking down one street and crossing a bridge, a uh, beautiful river, and you'll go down another street, and you'll go into a place where there's nothing but God himself seated on, a, seated on a throne. And he'll call you by name, and he'll invite you, and he'll say, come, come sit with me. And he makes room for you, and you talk face to face. And the whole idea of prayer doesn't exist anymore. It's face to face fellowship. It's the face to face being together and talking and him looking at you and you looking at him. And, and that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you'll never feel more loved in your life because it's love looking at you. It's love talking to you. It's complete acceptance. It's complete appreciation. Complete value in you as a, per, as a person, as a being on his level. And he created you for, he said all of that, that whole thing with the earth and Adam and, and all of it, the prophets proclaiming Jesus coming and Jesus coming and dying, all of that was for this. All of that was to bring about complete open fellowship. And Jesus knew that was happening, and so for the joy that was set before him, which was that joy of seeing us with the Father forever, 
us being loved by God, us being raptured by his look. And God's heart swelling because we can talk to him freely about everything we're thinking and feeling. And, and he just loves it. He loves to hear us talk just like a dad loves to listen to his little child developing thoughts and patterns. And, and he's just marveling that they can figure that out and talk. And it's the same way with God. He'll just marvel at, at, our, at, our, at who we are. We're created for that. So Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, it was that joy. He was able to endure everything. He said, if, that's, if this is what it takes to get these people into the embrace of God, I'll do it. I'll suffer. I'll lay down my life. I'll, I'll bear the shame, the pain, because I know this will just make Father so happy. Yeah. Is this helpful to be reminded? I forget. We need to be, we need to be reminded. Amen? It's time to finish. It's, our, it's the time that we've set aside to finish. you have any questions you want to ask? Is there anything that you'd like to know more? Or is that, are you good to go? If you want to read it, you want to break it down, see scripture verses. I wrote a book called The Day, and it's all about this here. So, Nelson? I think it's just the lake of fire. At least that's all we know. And it sounds awful. It sounds, it's uh, separation from God. It's being confined, not just into a painful place, but with people that you don't want to be with. And beings that you don't want to be with. Like the worst caliber of people and beings are there. I mean, that's the, for me, that's the worst hell. And there's no break. <laughs> you can't. You can't say, hey, hey, I've had enough of this craziness, I want to leave. But that torment, that lake of fire, I think it's permanent. I, I, it's because oh, that's the only revelation we have so far. Maybe there's more that be revealed. But <clears throat> I know, I, I, I say that there are degrees of heaven and there are degrees of hell. That's based on a lot of years of thinking about this kind of thing. I just, I just know that there's something about God where there's nothing that's completely one-dimensional. There's shades and degrees of grace and everything. So maybe there's a, a shallow end of the lake of fire and a deep end. Maybe, maybe there's a, you know, a hotter end and a less hot end. I don't know, Nels. That's a good question. I, I, I haven't even really entertained much about the lake of fire because I don't want to go there. I, I've got my eyes set on the things that are above where Christ is. Yeah, it got changed. I, I think I think it started off talking about Shoal being a waiting place and and Paradise being a waiting place. 
And then somewhere in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, it really got changed where you're there and someone on earth can actually pay to spring you out of this holding place. And it didn't sound like paradise. When, when they described uh, purgatory, it never sounds like paradise and it's not a complete uh, shoals of hell. It's just, uh, they've come up with their own, own thing. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this past winter, I'm going through a, a book on church history that, that shows how the development of all of our theology. And they talked about it, but it was so uninteresting for me and, and nothing that I relate to that I didn't really retain it. But it did, it, it's in that Bruce Shelley book. You, I think you have a copy of it. And it talks about uh, purgatory, but it's just a, a man-made concept and, and uh, that there are people down on earth who have pull and authority over purgatory and they can make you stay longer. It was a way of tormenting people. They'd say, well, your mother's in purgatory. We weren't really sure. She wasn't really a saint. We didn't know where, quite where she's at. So we've parked her and it's a judgment on their part. That's, I think that's a good note to leave on. I can't decide who goes to hell. I can't decide who, even who goes to heaven. There's a judgment day where everything, everything, I mean, I would have, I would have sent, there's people that are famous that you and I know, I would have sent them to heaven automatically, but I don't know. I mean, who am I? I'm not, I'm not the judge. So for us to judge who goes to purgatory and who gets to be sprung out with an offering, that's insane. It's, a, it's, a, it's the height of, of pride because we don't have any authority to decide anything. Yet there, there's a theology that said the church could decide the, 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 the Pope could decide who stays in purgatory and who is brought out. But it's a real theology. It's, it's lost a lot of its power these days. You don't hear very much about purgatory. But when I was a kid, boy, they would hold that over you. That was a dreaded place to get stuck in purgatory. Everybody's been stuck waiting for a bus. Well, purgatory was like waiting for a bus, only you, the bus never comes. I mean, it was an awful, awful thing. And so it was a way of tormenting people. It was a way of keeping them in line. <laughs> I think it was just a tool that the enemy, the, the church used to keep their people in line. Aaron? Good and loud, son. Can you say it louder? brought out I think what I'm saying is that maybe maybe you had an expectation that you're going to live right next door to God and have access to him, see him, and then you find out that your Christian life was not the kind of life that you can actually see God. Well, there it's explained why that's not happening. And, and, and you're given rewards, and you get there. There are people who thought that they had 
a whole life, a quality of life laid up for them, and they find out that they, they didn't. That's, that's why Paul and Peter said, don't let any man steal your reward or cheat you out of your reward. I think there's an explanation for the kind of the quality of life that we have forever. See, getting to heaven is not just it. <clears throat> Having a quality of forever, that's decided by secret giving, secret prayer, secret li living, de denying yourself, how you treat people, how you forgive, how you bless. You, you're determining that, not just getting to heaven, but the quality of your heaven. And so I think that's what I'm thinking of more of as a judgment. Not, I don't know that God may say, you know, you've lived a life that, uh, say the thief on the cross who never lived the right life, never went to synagogue perhaps, never, never tithed, never lived for the Lord. Well, he'll have, a stand, he'll have a day in court where he can explain himself. Uh, does that mean that he'll get a greater reward? Probably that he'll say, just being, just being here and not being in hell is reward enough for me, you know? But at least we'll all see our reward. That's why we call it, you know, going to my reward or going to glory. It's where God praises you or not. But I don't know that anyone who is normally destined for the lake of fire will have a chance not to be put in the lake of fire. I don't know how that all works. I, I just don't even think about that, so... Yeah. Um, if you need to leave, you're free to leave. Most, but most of my life, yeah. I, I thought everybody gets to heaven, everybody's the same. It's all that. Yeah. Is that the majority of an American church? Yes. Yeah. How about the rest of the world church? Do they believe that same thing, or do they seek reward? When I teach this, when I'm in other countries, they're always shocked. They're always surprised. We think of. We think of. Heaven just being one, one big happy place where we're all given the same reward and given all the same quality of eternal life. Uh, but there are teachers who are starting to teach this. Um, uh, there's some quite well-known teachers who are starting to teach that we're, we're, we're determining the quality of our forever by our behavior here now. I just heard someone who's really quite famous teaching that to us. He's got a massive congregation. And boy, it was, it was uh, you could just tell that he was wading into theology that was altogether new for them. So one time I taught this in India. I taught about the judgment day. We had about 8,000 people in the tent. There's probably 2,000 people outside the tent who are unbelievers. And there's a whole line of, of, of little uh, like hot dog stands. Oh, it's not hot dog. It'd be rice stands. It'd be... Uh, the carnies, it sound like a fair. As these are guys making money off of this big crowd in the jungle, and their, their pots and pans are clanging in the fire, and they're barking and talking to each other. And, and, and on the cassette tape, I, I recorded it, so on the cassette tape, you can hear this din of noise that's outside the tent, and all the believers sitting on the ground inside the tent. And I began teaching about the Judgment Day, and I got into some of the stuff that we talked about tonight. And on the tape, and I remember in the moment realizing the noise outside just dialed way down. Just all of a sudden, you could you could hear because everyone outside the tent was listening about what it's going to like be like to stand before God on the Judgment Day. Everyone thinks about it. Everyone wonders about it, but no one really explains what that's going to be like. Yeah.
Let's stop here. Amen? We didn't get into our prayer time, and we didn't get into a bunch of stuff, so I, I apologize for that. I just got, I just got going, and I, I could see it, and so I just wanted to, I just wanted to stay with it longer. You've never heard this, no, Elaine. Have you ever heard this, Elaine? Have you heard it? You've never been taught this. It's, it's possible. I mean, there are lots of people. I meet pastors and we'll, I'll teach this and, and they'll, they'll say, we never heard this. We didn't know this was happening. Um, a couple things. Uh, we were doing discipleship. It's all spontaneous. It just started happening this week. If you have time during the week and you want to come in and study at the DH, probably for the next month, every day from 9 till noon, we're going to do discipleship. If you want to study something together, you want to study something, there's live teaching, but if you want to go in-depth, you're welcome to join us at that. There's a few people there that are starting at real basic uh, kinds of stuff, and you're welcome to get in on that. I'm interested in doing a writing, not a writing class, I'm not going to do any teaching, but I picture a group of five or six people who just want to sit around and write for the evening, write short stories or whatever they love to write, and then maybe we'd read them to each other and kind of kind of uh, just experience what that. There are people who can write or should write, but they don't because they just need a push in that direction, and I think writing together might inspire that. And so we haven't set a date for it, but I'm thinking maybe six weeks this fall where we can just actually do some writing together. If you're interested in that, let me know. I'm also um, making available a book on, on uh, child discipline called Hand in the Cookie Jar. And I'd like us to review it together and critique it. And then before we publish it, we kind of work it out in our own little backyard here. If you're interested in that book, you just text me or email me. And I'll send you the book for free as an ebook, and you can you can read it, and then we'll we'll have a chance to talk about it somewhere down the way. So, Aaron, that'd be a good book for you. You're gonna be a dad here before long. You might better get trained on what that might look like. So, Amen. Let's stand together. What's that? Yeah, yeah, you might. It's not just child training, it's parent training. Let's pray. Can we do that? I, I think it'd be wrong to leave the building if we didn't stop for a minute and just say, Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that takes away my, my sin, my shame, my regrets. I haven't thanked you enough for the blood of Jesus. I'm struggling down here, but I haven't thanked you enough for the privilege of going to heaven, of having my name in a book of life, which is my ticket in. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for wanting me to be with my Father in heaven so much that you went through such a painful, awful, awful experience for me. Or there's people in my day-to-day -day walk that don't know anything about hell. Give me opportunities to warn people. Give me opportunities to invite them to heaven. 
God, I don't want to just get there myself. I want to take people with me. I want to, I want to talk people out of hell now. Bring them into my life. Give me opportunities, even this week, to tell people the realities of the life to come. Help me to do it. Help me to do it faithfully. Thank you for this reminder tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.